0: Great to be here again. i like to stand on this step and I look just like everybody else then. (laughs) It's nice. You know, when I arrived tonight, the door was locked. And I thought, man, words got around when I'm speaking. (laughs) It is nice that it's open and there's always a good atmosphere here, a sense of the Lord's presence. We appreciate that. As I said this morning, Jane's come tonight. Couldn't be here this morning because she said, well, that's my home church in Florida. She remembers that big strong guy that held her up in the ocean. <laughs> that was great. Now, we're into the end of John's Gospel. You remember it's post-resurrection. Uh, uh, what happened after Jesus rose from the dead? And we talked this morning about the Lord who dries our tears, who removes our doubts. But of course, sometimes we, if you're like me, sometimes we blow it. And I want to talk tonight about the Lord who restores us. We're talking, of course, about Peter. I will put the verses up. I hope you have John 21 open. You know this story probably pretty well. But it's very important because it has that key question, the foundational question that Jesus asks of all of us. Just as he asks of Peter, do you love me? so this is a great chapter, it opens with a group of disciples that are away from the bustle of Jerusalem, they're in Galilee (coughs) now (coughs) uh, you might uh, wonder what was going on there because Jesus was alive and yet the disciples were away in Galilee and they were actually very bewildered, they were wondering what to do The, the sign says it all, confused, baffled and bewildered You see, huge changes had taken place <coughs> and <coughs> they were reeling from this and of course in Peter's case there's a man filled with regret. I mean I think for the very first time in his life Peter was experiencing what was an unusual emotion for him and that was self doubt. That tragic denial that left out in fear and well what was ahead for Peter didn't look that great now of course I want to ask why did they go to Galilee that's a good question and I want to point out of course that the Lord planned it you see when he predicted Peter's denial if you read Matthew 26 he said in verse 32 he said very clearly he said look after I have risen I will go ahead of you into Galilee and in fact the the angels when they spoke to the women at the tomb in Matthew 28 7 said look His wisdom for the dead, and he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and that great promise, there you will see him. And we talked about seeing him this morning. So the Lord planned it. Let me say right off the bat, of course, the Lord always plans things. The Lord's looking ahead for your blessing and mine. Uh, And the great thing I I realize as I've I've been thinking through this chapter, the Lord doesn't just look one step ahead. We have trouble figuring the next step. The Lord sees the end from the beginning. He sees the end of our journey. Uh, And there's an example of that. You look at verses 18 and 19. He tells Peter, he actually tells Peter about his martyrdom. He lets Peter know that that earlier expressed willingness when Peter said, look, Lord, I'll go to prison and death for you, it would actually be tested again and and this time it would be for real. I mean, Peter had a very tough end, but it was known to the Lord. Yeah, I know you've got a dry speaker, brother. Do all you can (laughs) to help. There you go. Thank you. I don't know whether that was... Yeah, I'll stay there. Look, I'll take a drink just to encourage you. (laughs) Ah, just water (laughs) (laughs) ok Peter had a very tough end but it was known to the Lord you know things come in our lives tragic things, unexpected events remember they're known to the Lord the Lord's not capricious Uh, He's an omniscient Lord. We talked about his divinity this morning and the Lord knew that away from the crowds in Jerusalem, once they'd absorbed the fact that he really was alive, they could focus their attention on the future and that's what they needed to do and especially just just away in a piece of Galilee, they could be prepared for what was of course going to be an incredibly important job but especially, the, the, the key thing I want you to realize tonight, he wanted to give Peter that opportunity to be fully restored. You see, Peter again needed to become a leader as they launched into what was going to be a very challenging new ministry, and they didn't have the physical presence of the Lord. And they certainly needed leadership. Christian church needs leadership. God calls individuals to lead his people, and Peter had that gift but he was sidelined. So we're going to talk about all that. What we're going to do tonight is focus on three things. I'm going to say a bit more about this predicament of the disciples as they were bewildered there. I want to particularly focus on the provision the Lord makes. He provides for every situation. And of course, the devotional application we've got to get to is the personal response Christ wants. said that this morning, it's, It's all down to the individual. So the predicament of the disciples, the provision the Lord makes, and the personal response Christ wants. That's where we're going tonight, so you can follow through. So let's talk a bit more about these disciples. Here they were, just just picture them. They're in Galilee. Uh, there's no sign of Jesus at this point and they're, they're saying what now and of course Peter you've got to remember he'd be haunted by the memory of Christ look he, he denied Christ Christ had looked at him and and th- this thing would be weighing so heavy and the other disciples they normally looked to Peter for leadership and they were floundering and they were just waiting to see him in Galilee they, they knew about the promise but Nothing was going on. And I have some sympathy. I mean, it's easy to criticize them for not having all the faith they should have had, but, you know, waiting is difficult. You ask Jane, I I find waiting very difficult. You know, if I invite you around, don't hold your hopes up, but I'm moving into the house uh, this week, probably, but if I invite you around and say a time, I'm checking at the window, going to the door, in fact, when we're out shopping and if, if I arrange to meet Jane and she's a couple of minutes later, I'm, I'm g- grabbing a cell phone, which I forgot to turn off. But I hope it doesn't. Grabbing a cell phone because she's supposed to meet me. I, I find it hard to wait. So I'm not criticizing them, but there they were. They were waiting and they were basically <laughs> couldn't answer the question, what to do next? That was a question they couldn't answer. They were perplexed and uncertain. So what did they do? Well, they did what many of us do. If you're waiting, if you're uncertain, if, you, if you're not sure what the next move is, often you just move to distract yourself. You're going back to do something to keep busy. Maybe something you enjoy. Jane seems to go to knitting. I tell you what I do, when, when I'm confused and puzzled and distracted, I, 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 I put her in my garden. Uh, Well, I can't do it this time of year in Canada, that's all I, so whatever, I play around with my computer. Uh, Because you can't just, well, for older Christians, one option is just loafing around, keeping yourself occupied, but that's not an option. And you know, I love this cartoon of the old guy who, who told his wife he broke down and bought himself a new pair of shoes. He's an old man, and he says, I figure this is probably the last pair I'll ever buy. So she takes a look at the What kind of shoes are they? He said, they're loafers. Oh, she said, how appropriate. <laughs> loafers. <laughs> she knew he was a loafer around. Now, this is a fairly young congregation, but I've got to tell you, as you get older, loafing around is not an option. These guys... That was not an option. You know, I love that verse in Psalms ninety-two fourteen. 14. Uh, as I get older, I find it more precious. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. What a promise for us older Christians. But these are younger guys. They were ready for action. So what Peter does, <coughs> of course, is say, look, I'm going fishing. It's obvious. I mean, this is what, this had been his life before he left everything to follow Jesus. So it was easy to slip back into it again. I mean, and the others, they were so glad to have a suggestion. Here's Peter at last making a suggestion. They said, well, we're coming with you. Uh, I mean, they realize this is better than hanging around on a loafing. We've got to do something. Well, you see the Lord knew what was going on and and, and this was it was a predicament that the disciples solved in that way but the Lord and this is so like our Lord provided in a wonderful way because what happened next that miraculous catch of fish uh, it was the first of two really brilliant moves to show the pastoral heart of Jesus and don't take these things for granted. The, the second, of course, was a breakfast fire on the beach, and we're going to discuss that soon. But this miraculous catch of fish and the fire on the beach, they were important steps in getting the disciples ready to respond to Christ's commission. Let me explain why. You see, the miraculous catch of fish and the breakfast on the beach, they both were provided by the Lord to prepare them for his work because the first thing he wanted to do was get the minding gear, get the memories going. Because they were going to have to evangelise and plant churches and he was going to have to enable them to do that. So what was a game plan? Well, the first thing, of course, with this miraculous catch of fish is they would remember, oh, this has happened before. Uh, here they are, they're again in a boat Jesus is calling them and there's this huge catch of fish this is like a rerun. you can ever look fine the story, it would bring memories flooding back to that incident because it's an earlier time actually when they were first called he wanted them to go back to think about when I first called you they left everything to follow him and Jesus is rerunning this And that's very important. It is important to remember. You know, if you're a Christian and you're getting a bit, ah, you know, yawning brother, I saw you. (laughs) If you're getting a bit like that, you can't think back, think back to your day of salvation. If you're romantic but your passion's fading a little bit, think of your wedding day. You think of, think of that on your anniversary because memories help restore us so this is a a tremendous reminder Uh, and there's a little sideline here, just a, a little bunny trail, just remember both times when you read about this there's a key principle in Christian service, just as a little extra application without me you can do nothing these stories show that so clearly, it was all the Lord and of course there's an interesting little sideline here because Peter's response the first time in Luke five eight uh, was to bow before Christ. He, he said, "Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man." Now in John twenty one, when there's a rerun, and the disciple of Jesus loved, presumably John said to Peter, "It is the Lord. It's the Lord." Peter true to his old form, he's now a first responder again. He immediately, what does he do? He grabs his coat and jumps into the water. That's quite a contrast when you think about it. Diving in compared with wanting the Lord to move away from him. You see, but think about it. What Peter was longing for was restoration. How he was desperate to be close to the Lord again. And, 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 and the Lord responds to that. You know, the Lord responds to any desire on your part uh, to, to come back to him. If you're a bit away from the Lord, if your love's getting weak, hey, he's waiting. I read this morning part of the story of the prodigal son in, in the first service. Classic example. The Lord waiting to restore Uh, and it's so. Uh, I love this chapter because it's so clear. It's an eyewitness account. I talked about it this morning. This is no. This is no hearsay, because there's such wonderful detail. You read it through. Don't miss the detail in Scripture. John notes Peter removed his outer garment, and he records in verse 11 there were 153 fish. 150, thing 151, 153. Now, every fisherman I've ever known. When you ask him, he can tell you exactly how many fish he's caught. You rarely get a fish. Oh, I don't know. They know. Uh, you see, they like that. Uh, and I read this, and it said it's full of large fish. 153 large fish. That's the Lord's provision. <laughs> There's no teeny weeny tiddly fish when the Lord blesses us. So the Lord's beginning to provide. Uh, and... And and verse 12 is just a wonderful example of the Lord's provision. That's one of the great invitations in John's Gospel. Jesus says, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. I mean, wasn't that a great call for weary fishermen? Uh, And to me, you know, I read the Bible about the Lord Jesus and it's absolutely staggering that you stop and think, this is the creator This is the Lord of heaven and earth. This is the Lord of lords. This is the Holy Son of God. This is the one co-equal with the Father. Remember who Jesus is, that he would prepare and offer such a kind, hospitable invitation, come for breakfast. And And it's just, I mean, he first called them to be refreshed physically. Warm bread, fresh cooked fish, a welcoming fire, where they could sit around and talk. I mean, this is the Lord who said, come to me if you're weary, if you're heavy laden. Look, whatever trial you know, whatever you are in life, this is the Lord telling, come to me. That's the way the Lord calls. And I want you to notice another detail. I mean, the Lord had fish on the fire. And he's the Lord of the universe. He has every fish in the ocean. It's not a fish in the ocean that isn't the Lord's. But what does he say in verse 10? He says, you bring some of the fish you've caught. I love that. I mean, they caught? What's caught? You see, this is how the Lord loves to work. He loves to work through and with us. He wants to work here in Hollywood through Budapest through what you can do. That's why you're praying and fasting because you want the Lord to use you. But you see, that's what he does. He said, you do what you've caught and, and it was such a beach party I mean what a time in verse 12 it said they knew it was the Lord and so there it was they were back together again they knew it was the Lord they were sharing fish they were talking about the future I mean this was so good can you imagine how they began to feel you see but uh, like everything the Lord does that fire had special purpose see because God's a purposeful God I said he's not capricious God does things deliberately for our blessing you remember the setting of Peter's denial the three denials of Christ where he was warming himself by the fire it's stated twice in John 18 and fires create a special atmosphere I mean there's a crack of the burning wood there's a smell of the smoke Uh, campfires are wonderful moments you see, I want to tell you, this fire, like the huge catch of fish, it was a memory jogger for Peter. And, and, and you know, smells are particularly effective in bringing back memories. And why do you think some women stick to the same perfume all the time? Because that distinctive smell of Chanel Number no. 5, well, that, uh, that can bring memories of a special sweetheart. I'm getting used to Jane's new perfume now, but, you know, I... You remember. It brings it back. And for me, it's a bit present. You know, every time I'd smell what we call hot chocolate, I think of my mother and cocoa. Because when I was a kid, every night she brought me a, a mug of cocoa and I went to bed with my brother. And I think of my brother and my... Why do I think of that? It's just a smell. But it does that. You see, and, and this is what... The Lord's creating a fire and a smoke because he's helping take Peter back to that awful time he needed to think when he'd firmly denied the Lord three times and he was creating the atmosphere uh, and Peter would be sitting there I'm sure ashamed of what he did and we and think about the look on the Lord's face and I feel it for Peter because after that third denial he, he knew it was over I mean how could he ever be a leader again And I've thought about that a lot. You know, it seems incredible that this brave and outspoken Peter could fail so badly that around that first fire. And I thought, and I reread the Gospels because I wanted to understand what happened. And I want to tell you what I think happened. I want to go through this because it's a very important lesson for us. I think it started with pride. You know, they say pride comes before a fall. You think of Peter. He said, look, even though others forsake you, I'm ready to go to prison and death for you. You see, pride always likes to compare itself with others. You know, well, I could think of a bad speaker, say I'm a better... You know, we can all think of people who are not quite up to where we are, not doing as well. Well, Peter did that, and we'll meet it again soon, and it's just a reminder to be so careful to watch out for misplaced self-confidence pride in what we can do and overconfidence in himself it did seem a problem for Peter because you no know, he was the guy that was ready right. to get up the sword in the garden and said don't worry I'll look after it he said look Lord I'll always follow you I'll do it so confidence and I read these phrases that Peter spoke and I think you know they speak of pride in what we think we can do and it comes easily to our lips and And it's the first step to failure. But after prayer becomes what? Prayerlessness. You see, there was a crisis situation. You remember prior to the denial, they were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And and Jesus is sweating great drops of blood and he's praying in agony of soul at the prospect of bearing our sin on the cross. and, And in that dreadful situation, Jesus comes and he finds Peter and the other disciples. They should have been praying and they're sleeping. And he says, Watch and pray. And that's still the Lord's challenge. I'm so encouraged you having a day of prayer because Jesus said, You watch and pray. And the Lord's challenge to all of us who aspire to follow him is to pray. And as we heard this morning, pray without ceasing. See, paralysis is such folly. And there they were, not praying, but sleeping. But there was a final step and that was isolation from believers you think about it scripture said Peter followed at the distance and he finished up hanging around with a crowd of unbelieving people at the fire I mean, think about this do you think Peter if he'd stayed with John and James and those faithful believing women staying with Mary Magdalene and those others who stayed with Christ If he'd stayed watching the trial and crucifixion close with them, do you think he'd have denied the Lord? You know, we need to nurture our relationships with other believers. Aaron's talked about relationships, so important. Our witness to the gospel is a communal witness and our core, I mean, of course we reach out. I'm so encouraged to have a barbecue for the neighborhood. We've got to reach out our community but our core relationships are with our fellow believers and it's so important we nurture our fellowship with other believers especially if you're in difficulty in crisis this this exhortation in Hebrews 10.25 not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together is actually very important it's an exhortation we must follow that's why I said this morning if you've got FOMO fear of missing out. Don't miss church. You've got to be diligent. And I want to call you to foster fellowship wherever possible. Make sure you never isolate yourself from the warmth and protection you receive when you get together with fellow believers in the local church. So beware. Pride, prayerlessness, isolation. Forget them. Foster humility, prayer, and fellowship. Humility, prayer, and fellowship that's the key but God had great things in mind for Peter yes we could try and explain his failure but God had a real big plan for Peter so what did he need to do he needed to renew and recommission him he needed to get that failure completely behind him I hope you're not a believer who's was hampered by the past failure when the Lord's forgiven you I, I know a young woman who feels she can never do something for the Lord because she married in disobedience to a, a, a non-Christian. And yet the Lord could have great plans for her. We can't... You see, God's always oh, ready to reset the program for our lives. All we need to do is ask him to forgive us, t- to renew us. God has a plan B, he has a plan C, he has a plan D. And so ever thought, for in verse 15, the Lord... Uh, verse 15 points out the Lord just waited until they were physically warm and satisfied and he began to deal with Peter's denial and failure and way the way he dealt with it is astounding i mean you've gotta I like to put my mind in Peter's and think what, what a field day the devil must have been having with peter i mean he I'm so prophetic I might as well give up. I can't be the leader. I'm not a worthy follower of Jesus. The emotion, you know. We have to go to the scriptures to figure out how the Lord did all this. And we know from Luke 24 and from 1 Corinthians 15 that Peter had already met privately with the Lord. And I believe that that, that as they sat there, Peter's sin would already have been forgiven. But you see, the important thing is Peter denied the Lord publicly and it's so important that there was a public restoration. So Peter needed to be publicly restored so that everybody would know that he could again take up his call to be a leading apostle. You see, in restoring Peter publicly, what the Lord provides us is an amazing example of pastoral care. You know, if you're a leader and you have to restore someone, remember that the Lord doesn't just gloss over or ignore Peter's tragic failure. What he actually does is pushes Peter to take responsibility for what he'd done. Of course, the Lord doesn't parade Peter. He doesn't condemn people. Peter, he doesn't badger people. And so this is a little pastoral care it. He doesn't blame, but he doesn't overlook. It's very important. If you're a parent raising kids, that's important. Rebellious teenager, how are you going to deal with it? Don't overlook, but don't blame. What an example. (coughs) You see, there's no attempt on the Lord's part, as we might be saying, well, let's just forget it, my friend, and, and pretend it never happened. What the Lord does is go right to the real issue, and the real issue, and this is a real issue for all of us, is Peter's relationship with him. That's the question. That's what this passage is all about. Do you really love me? That's the key question. It's always the most important question in our relationship with each other, but with the Lord. In the end, it's about the reality of our love. Do you really love me? See, Peter three times denied the Lord. So three times the Lord repeats this question. Do you you love me? And he used his old name, Simon, son of John, for the very last time. Because the Lord puts pressure on Peter. I mean, the Lord's like a skilled surgeon poking with that sharp scalpel. Three times he poked with a key question to get people. He's getting people to think back to what he'd done. And he asked me, and and it's wonderful, verse 15, he says, do you love me more than these? People wonder what that meant, but... um, He's really saying you love me more than the others do because you boasted your love would us and outlove theirs. I think it's an obvious reference to Peter's own comparison of himself with others. Matthew 26, he boasted. Verse 33, he boasted in false self-confidence. I talked about that. He thought his love would never fail. But this time, you see, what's interesting When Jesus said, you love me more than these, he avoids making any comparison between between himself and the others. Don't compare yourself with others. He simply reaffirmed his own love. And that's what we have to do. Uh, And we know that he was hurt. We know from verse 17, asking Peter three times, hurt Peter. But that's what a probing scalpel does, you know. The Lord sometimes hurts in order to heal. You know the scripture, Hebrews 12, 6, it reminds us, the Lord sometimes chastises us for our good because, and this is such a great verse, so who does the Lord discipline? The ones he loves. And so it's an act of love, clearly. You see, denial of failure or overlooking unfaithfulness is never a solution to healing any relationship. That's true in marriage, but it's true in our spiritual life. And all that blame shifting and denial, it started in the Garden of Eden. You know, the old joke Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the snake. Snake didn't have a leg to stand on. But it may be a joke, but you know what? What was going on is blame shifting, and it has to be abandoned. Because healing requires facing and acknowledging and regretting our past. And it has to be combined with an honest expression of our love. But you know, You need to remember, just like Peter had, you can rely on the fact that the Lord knows your heart. Never forget that. So you don't need to play games with the Lord. You don't need to hide things, because He knows. He actually knows our hearts better than we do. And I think it makes it easier to just kneel down before Him without pretense and just repent, because what He wants us to do is acknowledge our failure and express our love to him that's why worship is so important that's why the breaking of bread service is so important to our spiritual life it's a key service because the breaking of bread service is an opportunity to express your love for the Lord to sing songs like I love you Lord and I lift my voice to worship you we've already done it today and that's a delight to the Lord because he loves us even unto death but Peter had to get to that point about I love you Lord I like this little uh, comment of Lucy in the Peanuts cartoon she said the secret of love is removal of the competition (laughs) remember that (laughs) you see because the one thing love requires is a personal focus and response and the Lord comes first it's an important principle Because the thing, we'll get to our last point now, that the Lord really wants is that personal response. You see, we said he's creator of the universe. I mean, I think about this a lot. The Lord has everything, except one thing. You know what the Lord doesn't have, or may not have? Everything but your heart think about that because God doesn't want robots this is a robot feeding a baby I'm sure the baby's getting nutrition but where's the love but he doesn't want robots who who lack the freedom to give and withhold love that's what the Lord's given us freedom it's astounding and the question that the Lord's really interested in because he knows your heart he wants you to answer it with honesty it's to your and You have the freedom to withhold love. I know people that hate God. Unbelievable, but he gives that freedom. And in response to Peter's affirmation of love, look what happens. Once he said, you know I love you all. He receives that commission. He's recommissioned to, to be a shepherd of God's people. And Peter never forgot that by the way when you read on in the epistle you notice he identifies the Lord as a chief shepherd if you're shepherding the Lord's people and trying to mentor them at whatever level remember he's a chief shepherd and I like this it's a lovely little thing I've got to share with you you know when Peter was called from catching fish to follow Jesus he was told in Luke 5.10 now you're going to catch people and my friend and mentor in the Lord, F.F. Bruce, now with the Lord, but world famous theologian, but godly man, was in the same assembly that I grew up in. He said, Now to the evangelist hook, there is added the pastor's crook. So Peter, in his jewel road, listen to this, followed the Lord by hook or by crook. Isn't that great? You see, it's, it's completely committed to following the Lord. And I want to say this because of Peter's weakness in comparing himself with others. Galatians 6, 4 says very clearly, look, you've got to test your own actions. And then you can take pride in yourself alone without comparing yourself to somebody else. It's a very important message. You see, look in verse 21. Uh, as Peter talked with the Lord, he turned and saw John walking by and he said, immediately, what about him? What about his ministry? I mean, Peter's tendency to compare himself with others reappears. And Jesus is—he he rebukes him right away. He said to Peter, that's nothing to do with it. What's that to do with you? You follow me. Very important principle. You know, I sometimes have... Given a message, and somebody will say, Oh, that was so good. I wish Sister So and so had been here to hear it. Someone said, I wish Brother So and so had heard that message. Did you hear it? I want I don't say that, you've got to be gracious. But you see, the Lord is reminding us our primary concern must always be to make sure we're following ourselves and not be always worrying about others' status and others' ministries. Hebrews 12, when we've had it today already, look to Jesus. That's where we look. That's the exhortation. So, five minutes, what are we going to do? Let's sum it up. It's all about the first and great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, with all your strength. That's it. That's the bedrock of our faith. That's the real answer to that timeless question, what's the purpose of life? That's it. And you remember, the call of Christ to love God isn't isn't a call just to be emotional. Hey, you love your family emotionally. I hope you love your wife emotionally. But it's more than that. It's about a right relationship with him and I thought about this and I don't have time to give a lot of detail but I'm a scientist so I was and I'm always worried about how you measure stuff I like measuring things and I thought when it comes to assessing the reality and depth of our love for God how do you measure it and I want to finish by telling you scripture gives some clear guidelines and there are at least three ways I want to share with you how to assess your love for the Lord first of all question yourself ask yourself questions I mean, don't just take it for granted because you've been coming here for years everything's okay say to what extent am I actively now pursuing a deeper relationship with God especially if you're older I mean actively that's a challenge for me I mean how much of my life is built around humble obedience to God's word and will if you ask that honestly it's a very challenging thing because a person who loves God and yearns for God's presence, longing like David did in Psalm forty-two, one he said, "My as a deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for You, Lord." Well, their life is built around that, and it's tough. And a very practical measure of this longing for the Lord is to check how much time you actually spend on those disciplines that grow your relationship with God you know what they are daily prayer not just a routine prayer but really personal prayer personal worship of course you worship when you come here Sunday morning but I'm talking about personal worship I'm not talking about a quick Bible reading but regular meditation on scripture they're the measures and I want to say one third thing you see 1 John 4 you're studying 1 John and I'm glad about that because it said perfect love Cast out fear in verse 18, 1 John 4, 18. I want you to remember, perfect love casts out fear. Then there's Galatians one 10, You're called to be a God-pleaser and not a man-pleaser. Now remember those two scriptures because a third measure of our love for God is found in our readiness to be a God-pleaser and share what Christ means to us freely and transparently. And so number three... You're going to be a god-pleaser, not a man-pleaser. So ask yourself: To what extent do you let a fear of harming your social relationships or popularity stop you from sharing your testimony to God's love and what Christ means to you? Because it can happen. Uh, I was very cautious sometimes at the university talking about my relationship with the Lord because, well, I talked to one professor, a very well-known professor, about it, and. Uh, the next time he passed me, he go past like this, and for a week he held his nose when he walked past me. I can't say I was persecuted, but it was a pretty tough feeling, and I, and I was so afraid of that, that that I wouldn't say very much. Uh, uh, what a challenge! I want to tell you. You see, we talked about Thomas this morning having strengths and weaknesses. Peter had them. We all have them, but I. I just got to remind you, I didn't tell you how Thomas finished, I didn't have time, and I don't have time to tell you much about Peter, but like his Lord, Peter glorified God in his death. And I just want to finish where I was this morning, about finishing well. Because in verse 18 and 19, Christ's death, uh, well, now I'll go back to John 12. Christ's death is described in John twelve thirty-three as being for the glory of God. And this chapter tells us that's how Peter's death is described. What a blessing. In the end, Peter was able to do what he said he was ready to do way back in John 13. In the end, he did it. And for Peter, it meant following Jesus all the way to death by crucifixion. And I can just pray, as we get to seven o'clock, that God would use Peter's example to, to renew your commitment and love for the Lord. Take it seriously because that's what the Lord wants we talk about a lot of Bible theology and doctrine but what the Lord wants he wants your heart and so these are the questions and I want you to think about them this week I mean uh, you'll go off it's a busy week but think about it am I still actively pursuing a deeper relationship with God I mean, how much time do I spend on daily prayer, personal worship, and meditation on scriptures? And particularly, and it is hard, and I'm weak on this. Do I let the fear of harming my social relationships or popularity stop me from ter- sharing my testimony about Jesus? Think about those. And remember, His word will not fail you. He promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying. His perfect salvation to tell. And let's do what we did this morning. Can we sing this? Malcolm's great at starting the songs. Let's sing this little chorus as, a, as an exhortation. This is the bottom line. Let's sing it. Can you do it for us, Malcolm? Turn your eyes above. Lord, help us to do it. We look at the world, we're so fearful of people we try to impress everybody and yours is the only opinion that counts. So help us to look to you and let those things of us go dim because the light of your glory and grace will be our eternal joy and we pray we may share it now for your glory and for our blessing and we pray that in Jesus' name.